I'm David McGee, and this is the Mayo Lab Podcast. An important part of the discussions we have on the Mayo Lab podcast is including student voices. Um, I, I think that uh, too often we as um, you know parents, we as educators, we tend to want to tell students what they should think, how they should feel, what they should do. And a part of this podcast is including student voices so we can just ask them, how do they feel? And what do they want? So today, uh, we're excited to welcome a young man I have known for several years now. He's a student at the University of Mississippi, a junior from Meridian, uh, Daniil Connor. Welcome. Thank you, Mr. McGee. Yeah, thank you so much. So I remember one of the earlier times we met, I had come to your fraternity house. You're a member of Phi Delta Theta, uh, which has a chapter, a very large and strong historically strong chapter here at the University of Mississippi. And I spoke uh, about well-being in general, we'll say, which included mental health, substance misuse. I remember you meeting me near the door and saying, this matters. And you told me a little bit about yourself, about your family, about your journey to college, and that really captivated me. Uh, Tell me a little bit about your story. Sure. And so, you know, being from Meridian, not many students come to Meridian. It's more of a pipeline to other schools around the area, whether it's a junior college or other, you know, schools that may be closer to home, as we like Mm -hmm. to say it. And so coming to Ole Miss was kind of a big transition, I would say. Um, As a son of two immigrants, my mom and dad are both from Malaysia, so the country between Thailand and Singapore, um, you know, they were... You kind of felt it felt different in a way. This mm-hmm. is mom and dad came here for school, um, so he understood the university system and how it all worked. But keep in mind that was in the late eighties, early nineties, right. so the times have changed. Mm-hmm. And so coming to school here, um, didn't know many people. When I moved in, um, I remember feeling the sense of you know being a bit lost at mm-hmm. times. You know, you you didn't have many friends up here. Mm-hmm. Um, you were trying to find that group essentially. Mm-hmm. And of course, with the background with mom and dad, they, you know, they're business owners now, but you know, when mom and dad first came to America, all they had were $200 in their pocket. Wow. And, um, they said, you know, we're going to take this $200 and make it into something. Hopefully that will become successful. And so that work ethic of hard, you know, hard work and, you know, being devoted to whatever you do kind of carried with me into college, especially when trying to get involved or, you know, trying to find a community, especially was so important. Hmm. And, um, and I guess now that that carries into uh, the conversation that we're going to have today, too. Yes. Yeah, so I guess you have some of that work ethic, because as I've known you, uh, you have been involved in so many things across the campus that I can barely keep up with them, uh, which is both a compliment. But I would also ask you, do you feel at times that you're a need to prove yourself or is that just you enjoy doing it so much? What, what's at the background of your involvement? Oh, it's, for me personally, it's a more of an involvement. Enjoyment. It comes mm-hmm. out of having this, in a sense, of fulfillment of knowing that I'm helping others. Mm-hmm. Because growing up my entire life, mom and dad always wanted to help um, other people because they received so much help. And so, in some type of way, mom and dad instilled this value upon us of whatever you're blessed with, try to bless others with it too. Wow. And so, coming into college, in a way, I saw. I mean, this is not just involvement, but whether it's through academics as well, too, whether it's like helping, you know, my, my peers with their homework or just mm-hmm. working together um, or even with involvement, like what we're talking about now, 
um, I felt that I saw it as a way to help others transition to college, mm-hmm. and especially elder students who were juniors and seniors at the time when I was a freshman. When I when I was in that position as a freshman, very vulnerable, I guess you could yeah. say. They help show, um, you know, what ways you can be successful and meet other people yes. for what I did not have at the time. And so, in some type of way, now as a junior, I see the involvement as number one being an enjoyment, but also as a way to give back to others who may not have necessarily had the resources to step right in when they mm-hmm. came into college. So because you have that involvement, it's given you a broad base um, experience with students of all backgrounds. You, you, um, I've heard you talk about before how some of the involvement you've, you, you know, you've got involvement with a lot of other international students and others from just a variety of backgrounds. So it's not just, for example, a fraternity. All, all of the student body that that involvement has gotten you to engage with. So in that, you know, we we for so many of us, we're trying to figure out where students are today. And the data shows that students are dealing in general, collectively, not not just at this University of Mississippi, not just at another university, but everywhere. I mean, the data shows that teens and college students are facing really more uncertainty, more anxiety uh, than ever before. Do, do you, as you engage across students widely, do you see that? Do you think that um, that's something that is real? Off the bat, I would say yes. It is something that we are having to deal with um, because the stress of having to deal with school, having to deal with trying to find a job or an mm. internship – there's so many different things that are piled up upon you, not just your academics, but also with your family life back home as well, too, worrying about what's going on. And so when you add the involvement aspect, whether it's the Greek life or if you're talking about different registered student organizations around campus, you know, you're adding more weight to the plate in a way. And at some point, you have to ask yourself, where does the plate break? Isn't? And um, I think that's one, one thing that we are struggling with is essentially finding a good boundary how do we stop ourselves, ask ourselves, okay, this is enough, or I need help? Um, you know, that's, that's something that we're, we're, we're facing now as students is not just, just trying to go out there and get what we want, but in a way, how do we realize that we need to stop too at some point? The expectations have changed so much. I think that you talk about your parents coming here with $200 and starting to find their way in America, which is a beautiful story, by the way. But I I hear a lot of young people tell me today, even if they're thriving, they'd like, I don't know how I'm going to, I worry that I can't make the money my parents make, or I can't, they they do feel some pressure to where do I go in my generation to best what this generation has done, you know, because we've come out of an era of of haves where certainly half the country still may not feel that. But for a whole lot of families, um, it has been pretty bountiful uh, economically. And there's a generation of college students I hear often saying, where do we go from here? Right. And I think that the problem is right now is that the, the measure to success is loss in some type of way. So how do we m- measure success? Because now when we, when we look at you know, other generations, we're like, okay, do we use wealth as a tool to success? Or do we look at what have we done to help others as a tool to success? In some type of way, we are like so lost in the clouds as to understanding what really is success? You know, is it our, you know, whether it's our mental health, whether it is our ability to help others, we don't have an answer. And it seems like what it seems like is that 
the generations before us said like, oh, these are the things to measuring success, whether it's your wealth, what you have, um, you know, how big your family is, you know, things of that nature. But with our generation and the world that we live in with social media, I mean, let's be honest, some, the, the majority, the, the, the rule is, or not the rule, but the norm is you wake up and you look at your phone. So the right. first thing is you're comparing yourself to what others are doing right. when you wake up. And already your brain is wired early in the morning to see what, what others are doing. And so when you see them being successful and you're not doing that same thing, you kind of you kind of lose that sense of, um, you know, of yourself and not knowing what success truly is. Just even from a simple thing as looking at your phone early in the morning. Wow. The, the how... You you stopped me and 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 really made me think um, when you said how how we're doing because our generation and my generation it was about what are you going to be what are you going to do and my generation cannot help but thrust that against <laughs> upon your generation what are you going to be but really I think we as a community we as parents we as educators may need to stop and reframe that. You've brought just great light on that. How are you doing? How will you feel? How will you be? Right. Not what will you mm-hmm. be? This definition that is defined by the job you have and the economics you deliver. Right. And I think it's kind of like a tunnel vision. It's just that we're told to look at the light at the end of the tunnel, which is in everything in life in some type of way. We want to see what's at the end, right? But what tools on that journey to the end of that tunnel are we going to be provided in some type of way? And so, like you said, Ms. McGee, like your, your generation was, what will you be? What, mm-hmm. or, you know, or what will you become? But what we need to ask ourselves is, what are we going to give you to mm-hmm. get there at this point? Um, in some type of way, it's like a pressure is what it feels like. Is that right. pressure has been put upon the students now to say like, okay, we want you to be this, but sometimes there's not that support. And right. that's unfortunately with a lot of, a lot of our generations that we're feeling that burden of wanting to be successful, but not knowing how to be successful. And that can be for a lot of students. Because we place upon you beginning from the day you start schools, our system and our culture places upon you, you know, the demand for excellence, which I'm a competitor. I'm a big believer in. I know Alexis is the same way. She's a competitor as well, played sports, always stri- striving to excel. But in that culture comes, if we if we do not build into that culture uh, tools for well-being, that if we do not also teach you about yourself, how to manage your feelings, how maybe your peers may be feeling, and how all of that works together, then demanding this success and demanding just excellence in and of itself where we're not also uh, teaching a culture of really reaching for excellence and well-being, then you, 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 what you can find is people like my son, William, perhaps they can achieve, but, but are they really struggling inside? And I think cause, because growing up, especially as y'all, as y'all may know, um, you know, we were always the kids who get into our, you know, once school is done, get into the back of mom or dad's SUV, boom, it's now going to soccer practice or <laughs> baseball practice or something. So life was always on the go. There was never seemed to be a moment where it just slowed down and that essentially in a way carried into college or into high school, which eventually after you got off, when the class last bell rang, you're going to sports practice, you get home, it's time to do homework. Then that carries into college. Mm-hmm. You finish your classes. Okay. What organizational meeting are you going to go to? <laughs> so wherever is that time where you're right. having time to just sit down and think to yourself, okay, 
I'm, am I okay? Am mm -hmm. I doing well? Are my friends doing okay? Are they doing well? Because constantly growing up, we were on the go. Mom and dad just wanted us to keep, keep going mm -hmm. in some type of way. And we never put the, the foot to the brake and said, wait, let's slow down and check on ourselves while we're doing all this at the same time. Mm -hmm. Being so busy as you are now and talking about making sure the plate doesn't break, how have you implemented tools? What tools do you use to set those boundaries or to make sure that weight is continuing to be equally distributed? Well, sometimes I feel like it's hard to say no, but sometimes we simply do have to ask when, you know, when something is being asked of us or if we have to, you know, if we know we cannot handle it, we have to sometimes just say no. Mm -hmm. And I think that's hard for us now. A lot of us in our generation, um, we we feel like we have to always constantly be doing something to, as a sense of fulfillment. If we are not, we feel like we are letting ourselves down. We're letting our family down. But if we just learn to say no, essentially, to make sure that we are okay and if we can give ourselves the time that we deserve, in some type of way, we're able to sit back and reflect and say, okay, I, have to, I actually do have time for mm -hmm. myself, but I have to learn how to put a boundary to the time that my body deserves, my mm -hmm. mind deserves, but unfortunately, I, I think that's a problem we're facing now. It's just mm -hmm. recognizing that um, we're not able to say no to a lot of things. And that's, yeah. and that's not just me. I feel like a lot of things, and some people can say no easily, but um, just really depends. I, I, feel I, think, like. I think, Daniil, culturally among young people, teens and college students, I see what you just explained more than anything else. We have programmed you, and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that my generation has done that to your generation. Like, we have programmed you to where there's just no, you're just always in this continual drive for excellence. And what I encounter is, I encounter, for example, a lot of college students throughout the country when I'm you know, out and about and get to engage with them and start asking them what they experience, I find that their anxiety goes up in their free time often. They actually don't know how to just be. Right. They they we have robbed between that device, that smartphone that you picked up a minute ago, uh, that I saw and using that as an example. Between this go-go culture of excellence and then the addition of this device that you are using, I find your generation, we have put you in a position where there's almost an anxiety in the calm, in the quiet. What do I do with that? And they really, students often don't know what to do with it. It's just like we, you know, because because we were so, like you said, programmed in a way to always be on the go. And if you're if you're just sitting around not doing anything... You're, you're, you're kind of looked down upon in right. some type of way. And so that, that's a problem. Um, we have to recognize that sometimes we have to take that step back and sit down and realize that we have to give our bodies mm. time and to readjust, to, to just rest. Mm. And um, unfortunately, though, it's just that we were programmed, like you said, from that young age that being on the go is the key to being successful or always putting in that hard work, which is no matter what, a, an aspect of life. But Hard work cannot be abused. Right. It cannot be used as the tool to saying, to saying that, oh, this is what it takes to be successful. And sometimes hard work comes through meditation, right? right. Like, like I, 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 was, I was a, a middle-aged professional version of that, and 
I kept running on that hamster wheel, chasing this thing. And until I finally crashed and burned. And when I crashed and burned, I literally needed the world to stop. And I took my smartphone and threw it out of the window. Somebody did find it and try to give it back to me. And I was like, you don't understand. I do not want that. Keep it. And uh, they they did. They did keep it. Uh, they like, if you could just unplug that, then I'll go sell it. I said, like, fine, do it. It worked out for uh, you. It, it worked great. So, and, and I deleted email accounts and I made myself go away when I crashed. And guess what happened? I began to think and I began to heal and I began to process and it changed my life. And I, I often worry um, that young people miss that meditation, that miss that. Uh, probably the best ideas I have come on a quiet walk by myself with nobody near. And I don't want to rob your generation of that, but there's a degree of that that's happened. So how do we how do we reverse that? I mean, you know, is that getting into schools in an earlier age to begin to teach that? Is it uh, like what? Where do we start? Well, also, you know, the saying, it all starts from home. I think it it truly does. In some type of way, it's parents' support saying that, okay, here we're going to help you with the tools to success, but in some type of way, let's also check in on you and making sure that you are okay. As parents or as guardians, as family members, let's not only provide you with these tools, but let's also check in with you at the same time to say like, okay, how are things going? You know, we always ask the question, oh, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. And naturally Mm -hmm. we say, oh, I'm fine. Thanks for asking. But are we actually checking in with ourselves when we ask that? You know, are we actually thinking to ourselves for a split of a second saying, no, I'm not okay, actually. And it's knowing how to have that conversation when, when someone is not doing well, or if you feel that your mental, mental state or your, you know, your ability to do something is not at its peak, how do you go about resolving that? And, and you know, I know there's no clear-cut copy-and-paste answer to that, but it's through the simple conversations with family, through those that you look up to, or you know, those that you're willing to support, it's kind of giving that community of support and just saying, like, I'm here to help you, but let's also make sure that you are checking in with yourself all while I'm here to stand behind you and support you along the way. That is the parent's favorite line. How was practice? How was school? I, I pick up sometimes, you know, I'm fortunate to be a young grandfather, and I got to pick up my, my grandson, and I, I found myself, uh, when I got that opportunity, my first question to him was, how was school? How was it? And what I expect him to say is, fine. It was fine. It was great. And then he, he didn't quite answer that, and it, it threw me. Right. I was like, well, what went on, you know? And it was a fine day, but he didn't. what he didn't like is he didn't like me asking that question. And But we do. How was play practice? How was school? And the standard answer is fine, because I think that we've pre-programmed young people to, that, that they're going to throw us if they go, you know, actually... I'm not doing so well. Mm -hmm. Right. And in some type of way, I guess it just goes back to earlier generations saying, like, I'm tough. I can handle this situation. I I got this all under control. And so that was admitted upon us growing up in some type of way that, oh, let's push everything else to the side. I got this. I'm a tough person. Let me handle this by myself. But instead, we didn't say, yes, you're a tough person, but I'm also here to help you along the way if you need some help, too, whether it's a guardian, a parent sibling, somebody that may, who may know, you know, what's going on. Instead, we were like, let's do this all by ourselves and not ask for help because in some type of way, it's been seen as a, you know, as a, as a weakness when we ask upon help. And we must change that narrative that asking for help 
is a sign of strength and your willingness to step out of line and ask for help to make yourself a better person and hopefully improve your health. Mm-hmm. I laugh, David, because I used to be that way. And my parents would say, how are you? How is practice? I'm fine. And I remember my mom looked at me one day and said, you're not allowed to say that anymore. Like, <laughs> let's use a different word. But it started different conversations of like, right. I can't use fine. What, how am I? Right. Actually. So maybe just throw the word fine out, throw the word okay out, whatever word mm-hmm. people are consistently using, say it's not an answer anymore. Because if we ask word. ourselves, what does fine mean, essentially? Right. I mean, right. it's a very vague term to say, I'm fine, I'm okay. So already we don't know what fine and okay mean in the sense of our well-being. So why don't we go a little bit deeper into the conversation and ask ourselves, ask our family members, ask our kids, our students. Say, no, how are you actually yeah. doing? And that alone, I promise you, in some type of way, when someone takes that initiative to just go an extra mile and saying, how are you actually doing? You'll be surprised to see how many people may open up and say, this is actually how I'm doing. And then hopefully as a response, someone is willing to give the advice or help to ensure that somebody gets the help that they need. How did you feel on that stage today when you were there? How did that feel when you were out on that stage? You know, that open-ended kind of question we like to talk about here and uh, that is so important for parents to begin that conversation. Exactly, Alexis, what your mother was trying to cut off wisely. Yeah, fine. Fine is, in in many ways, it's a close-ended answer in every – because we don't don't know what that means. And in many terms, it often means let's just end this Mm -hmm, conversation mm -hmm, now. I was like, I don't want to talk about this any further. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. This is over. I'm done. So it's not all bad news, though, Daniil. I I give uh, props to you. And one reason we invited you on this podcast is that we have seen and watched you as a college student, you know, make – Make discussion of well-being a priority, and and it does seem that not just you and others, that your generation is beginning to get it. Maybe we're making some progress where perhaps while it's not enough progress, there are beginning to be some better conversation among peers of teens and college students about um, the importance of mental health and well-being and maybe acknowledging where they are or where they are not. Right. And I still have to say that we do have a long way to go with this conversation, especially among amongst my generation. I mean, yes, the conversation has started and that's a starting point. Um, But, you know, we must that narrative has to change in some type of way. It used to be seen as this taboo. Mm -hmm. Um, Mental health is a taboo. And now with our generation, the problem is one problem that I'm seeing now or that I've personally believe is a problem is that we just throw the terms mental health and mental wellness out. Well, what does that actually also mean? You know, we can't just say, oh, let's check in on your mental health and your wellness. What does that actually mean? So I think that as time goes and progresses, I think we'll see a shift. I mean, we're seeing that with with this generation a bit, I mean, that are currently in college, still not much Mm. of a conversation that we want to see, but at least it's being thrown out there Mm. to hopefully, you know, put something out there and for the next generation of kids coming behind, whether it's our kids, our grandkids, we at least hopefully know that this is a conversation that can be sparked, it can be talked about, mm-hmm. can be checked in upon, and not just seen as, oh, let's just throw it to the back of our heads right. and take care of it ourselves. Yeah. The, the general word I've seen is uh, where there's been both progress, but as you mentioned, it's only a beginning. Uh, what I find is your generation, uh, particularly I think in young men, the safe word to acknowledge I'm dealing with something among parents and students themselves is anxiety. 
I didn't see 10 years ago anybody owning anxiety, so it's progress. But I find that it's often the word that is used to encompass everything. And that's probably perhaps from a lack of understanding of the other things involved, but it's also safe. I think people now feel safe identifying with anxiety, for example. As I say, I see it anecdotally more often in young men and in parents of young men. He battles anxiety, or which is real, and anxiety is very real. I have battled plenty myself and my children certainly battled plenty themselves but it's kind of the the progress and it it's now the all-encompassing safe word so it's like as you say where do we go from there yeah and that's the thing it's just it's knowing how to have these conversations i think that if we just tell people that okay this is a this is a topic that needs to be talked about amongst our close family members our our friends um, and of course, like anxiety, especially that, like you said, Mr. McGee, that the term anxiety is just thrown out there, like you mentioned. And that's a problem in some type of way, mm-hmm. because if we just keep using that term to, yes, it is an issue that a lot of students are- Sure, it's are, very are, real for some, that's right. Um, but what really is causing that anxiety? Mm-hmm. Is it, is it, you know, something that's going on at home? Is it something that we're struggling with personally? Um, how do we go about you know, talking about these things is something that's so important. Yeah, because often there's more stigma around depression, right? And there's more, right. for, there's more stigma around substance misuse. I'll have right. a student say to me, I'm not about to go tell you or anybody else I am addicted to marijuana and alcohol and Xanax because – I've got a scarlet letter on my chest. I can tell you I'm anxious because that's fine. Mm -hmm. And certainly they are anxious, right? Right. But I think that's a lot of what we've got to get past. And look, even for me as a middle-aged man, uh, the the truth is I'm still barely comfortable – using the word depression myself. Um, you know, it's it's not something I battled in recent years whatsoever, but when I was in high school, when I was in college, and when I was early in my married life, I battled it sometimes weekly, sometimes daily to a debilitating level, but I was trying to hide it and pretend it wasn't there. It's not even particularly easy to admit that now, today. Um, so I get it where young people, they don't want that label. Right. And unfortunately, um, th- that is a true thing. What you just said there is seen as like a scarlet letter to your to your name is that if you're battling this um, for some so for some people, they believe that this is again, it's that taboo that is seen as a taboo by some. But as time progresses, as time changes, as generations, you know, as we continue to grow and understand the topic of mental health and mental wellness, I believe that will change. And mm-hmm. it's just if we have these conversations more often, if we talk about how it's a real thing and not just something that's made up in our minds, if we can just talk to our to our kids, our students and say that what you're struggling with, I understand. I get it. It's a it's a real thing. Just recognizing that it's a real thing will hopefully change the narrative to to let students and you know the generations as they come up understand that these are things that we that we all as humans struggle with and it's okay but we must also get the help um that we need mm-hmm. to to ensure that we can recover from it or um overcome it yeah Daniil Connor, a junior at the University of Mississippi, uh, it's all about starting a new conversation, and we appreciate your role in helping us understand where young people are today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. McGee.
The Mayo Lab podcast is produced by Dr. Natasha Jeter, Dr. Megan Rosenthal, David McGee, Alexis Lee, and Slade Lewis. This podcast was recorded at Broadcast Studio in Oxford, Mississippi. The show was mixed and mastered by Clay Jones, and our original music was composed by Slade Lewis. The Mayo Lab podcast is brought to you by the William McGee Institute for Student Wellbeing. For more information on the Mayo Lab, head over to themayolab.com and follow us on social media at the Mayo Lab. If you enjoyed listening to the Mayo Lab podcast with David McGee, we need your help. Tell others about it. And we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this podcast. This podcast represents the opinions of David McGee and guests of the show. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for the medical advice of a licensed counselor or physician. The listener should consult with their mental health professional in any matters relating to his or her health or the health of a child.